You're listening to the Brand Ambition Podcast. Thank you for sticking around. Like I said, once again, sorry for the huge inconvenience of making you go from part one to part two. I know it's rough. You've got things to do, and it's entirely my fault, and I sincerely, sincerely apologize. But on with the show, episode two, part two. Here's Vinny from one of my favorite bands ever. Sponge. Vinny, how you doing, sir? I'm doing good, Brandon. How you been? Good, man. Hey, we came up like in the in a lot of the same circles, but we rarely crossed as like I'll, I'll say back in the day. Yeah, man. You know, it, it's funny because Detroit's typically such a close knit um, scene. You know, I know that we, we must have done shows together or crossed paths somewhere along the, uh, you know, the east side, the west side, for sure. I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I was actually a fan of Loud House. And I don't think I <laughs> wanted you to know that. Because <laughs> you know how, you know, us musician types are. It's like, oh, uh, I really like those guys, but I can't let them know that. So it's, uh, <laughs> I hang out in the back of the bar. <laughs> that's funny man yeah I mean Detroit's a funny place in regards to that at times you know but I don't know if uh, sometimes people feel um, they struggle with some other band's success successes you know that kind of thing but uh, oh, I mean I was so young and dumb back then that I didn't even realize I was doing that but uh, yeah let's talk about those uh, early days uh, Loud House was quite popular in Detroit uh, you guys had a good following, a good scene. You played all the top clubs. Yep. Um, how did that band come together? And uh, and basically, what was the scene like when you guys were jamming, hitting the scene with that band? Well, I was on the road with another group uh, out of Milwaukee for a couple of years and uh, getting really just tired of, um, you know, a... 80s hair metal, you know, like I, I kind of was part of that scene for a hot minute, but it's not having any um, fun with that at all. And, and and all the while listening to, you know, like uh, the band Fear, the Sax Pistols and the Clash, but, uh, you know, being in a band that was out there playing like 80s hair metal covers, you know, I was just getting tired of that. And I wanted you to get had involved. you back then, though, if you wanted to make a dime, it's. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of, I guess, popular in um, a lot of the clubs and, and, of course, popular in strip clubs. So it was like that was what everybody was going for. But there was always this other music that, that was kind of simmering around and beneath that. And uh, it's, it was getting, I think, foothold and you know, college radio and things like this, and the alternative radio format hadn't broken yet. So I was, you know, kind of burnt out on that other stuff, and I wanted to do something that was, um, I guess, kind of more in line with what I really loved to do. And um, I got back to Detroit, and there was a band, Murder City, that was uh, firing this singer, and I got involved and um, on the drums, and we uh, recruited Kenny to... Uh, to sing for the band. So it, it kind of just, you know, that's where it started. We started writing songs and recording and doing videos and 
and, um, and, and doing shows all at the same time, and things started to pop. Yeah, I was at the uh, Detroit Music Awards. I think you guys took top honors one of those years. Yeah. It was fun. I actually snuck my way onto stage at that point and sang with the Temptations at the end of the night. Were you up there as well? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, nah, that would have been a lot of fun, but no. Nah, I, I blew it, man. I was probably drinking beer in the dressing room. <laughs> I uh, often bragged about that as a child uh, <laughs> in my 20s. I'm like, yeah, I got to sing with the Temptations at the State Theater. Uh, have you? It's uh, technically true, I guess. It's Well, too bad, you know, you didn't have a smartphone back then. You know, you could have did uh, Facebook Live and, and taken a bunch of stuff to post on Instagram. You know what I mean? That brings up a really good point, though. I mean, imagine if there was uh, uh, the Internet back then how much different that would have affected just not only just the music scene, but life in general in the eighties with a, you know, a camera, basically a high quality camera in everybody's pocket nowadays. Can you imagine what it would be like back in the mid to late eighties, early nineties, if we had that kind of technology and what would have changed for you as far as being just an abandoned uh, promotions and all that stuff. It's so easy now. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's, it, it scares me on one hand to think of having a um, a recording device, a video camera, photos, um, when rock and roll wasn't uh, ashamed to be rock and roll and rock and roll wasn't politically correct, you know. Um, back then, I, I just go, that was what I always understood rock and roll to be. And we certainly... We're a part of that, and I certainly uh, I don't apologize for that. But having all those elements around, it would have been just, I think, too um, constricting on one hand. On the other hand, you know, all we ever were able to do was put up flyers. We'd go into a town, go to Kinko's, print up a thousand flyers and hit the streets, you know. Had we had our smartphones, we'd have been doing Instagram and all that kind of thing. And I think at the same time, it would have changed the new music coming up. I think it would have ushered in the new, the new music coming in a whole lot quicker. I think there would have been a lot of, uh, like you, you see the, the Motley Crude uh, biopic now, The Dirt on Netflix, and I, I think a lot of people would have been either demonized or uh, glamorized a lot more if there was a cell phone trickling around backstage at a, a lot of these events that are now documented. Or maybe criminalized, you know what I mean? Criminalized, yeah. It's really, you know, it's a really delicate subject, but at the same time, you know, the dirt was probably a little bit of the dirt, you know what I mean? For for what really goes on in rock and roll and, and life, you know, to document that accurately and, and, and assume that nobody is going to have charges leveled against them these days, you just go, you know, what are the chances of that? So I think that... Um, you know, alternative rock when it started to happen back in the early uh, or in 1990 when it started, like everybody started to understand what it was. You know, some folks would have thought that it ushered in a whole new sensibility about like there were plenty of gals out there, you know, lifting up their tops uh, willingly at a ton of those shows, throwing their underwear on stage to boot. So just like, you know, I don't think we reinvented rock and roll or the, 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 you know, what goes on at the seedy underbelly of rock and roll. 
Let's uh, travel around Detroit a little bit. Some of my hot spots, of course, I used to work at the Ritz. And my bands would always play at the Ritz. I, I worked with a ton of different bands. Uh, we did like you know Harpo's, I Rock on the West Side. It was like a studio lounge, token lounge. Yeah. What were some of your uh, your hot spots? I guess in just being in the city, even to the, to this day, what are some of the places that you hit? Well, definitely the token lounge. But you know, we rarely played like the studio lounge because um, typically we're playing places that um, we didn't have to play covers songs. You know, if we were going into Blondie's to play a Loud House gig, if we're playing all originals, or we go into the Token, all originals. Uh, even with the Ritz, you know, I I can't recall. You know, I mean, quite frankly, I was never great at being in a, in a cover band. You know what I mean? And I, I hats off the guys who can do that well. It was never one of my fortes, so. It's like, um, you know, having places like Blonde used to go and play. Roosevelt was always really cool about coming in and your own stuff. And, you know, Blondie's ended up being ranked one of the top metal bars in the, in the country, if not the world. You know, you'd see bands like Faith No More, like at Blondie's on a Tuesday, you know, and there's like 10 people there. So a lot of bands came through there to cut their teeth. But on the east side, it was certainly Harpo's. Um, the Ritz, St. Andrews Hall. The, uh, <laughs> I, uh, man, I got lost in the, in that music scene as in my twenties, I guess, even before that, I had a silly little TV show called Detroit live that featured bands and we come in there and record them, interview them and stuff like that and put them on our little public access deal. Sure. Um, I never got a chance to get you guys, but I, I wanted to, you're on the list. I was, uh, there was bands like Killing Floor that we were doing and, you know, Children of the Revolution, Heaven's Wish, yep. uh, Trash Brats, who I was a big fan of. Um, what were some of the bands that you guys hung out with back in the day? Or at, le- at least, you know, followed a little bit, caught their shows. Man, back in the day, we were fully immersed in that, uh, in that Ritz scene, you know, doing our shows and, um, you know, I, I remember doing shows like Dad and the Boys, and you know, we're at the hall, we see the Almighty Lumberjacks of Death, or you know, that that kind of thing. You know, but again, just being so immersed in, we rehearsed right behind the Ritz, and we'd roll in and open up for any band that was coming through town. That that was our thing, you know. And of course, we always would try to ride on the coattails of the big, you know, the big Detroit bands. Like I remember opening up for Strut. We were in Loud House or something like that. You know what I mean? Strut was kind of like the big bar band, but everything was changing in music. So a lot of those bands kind of began to fall by the wayside, and it ushered in a whole new, um, a whole new thing for the newer bands. I remember the Ritz in Roseville. That was kind of my hot spot. Um, just walking around the, the the big loop, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah. The big loop that goes up to the front of the stage, all the way to the back of the stage. It goes up a couple little levels, and just walking around, just, uh, talking to every girl you could that even looked your way. It was a great time. I mean, I was in my early twenties. It was a fabulous time, and I was really bummed there the day the place closed down. I was really bummed about it, and um, it was just a really good time. Uh, sponge. That's that's the that's the place I heard about Sponge. There was like this rectangle pennant type uh, flyer. Do you remember those? Not rectangles. Yeah. A, a yeah. pyramid, like like a triangle flyer. So it's sponge on it, and I'm like, these guys got amazing flyers. Who the hell is this? 
Yeah, man, that was Mark Arminsky because Mark Arminsky and the Ghetto Rag people, Chris Doris, uh, used to print and design all the posters for Loud House. We'd go over to like the Russell Industrial Center back like in 1990 and hang out and, you know, drink beer and print posters and and they always had great ideas about what they wanted to have as an image for the posters and um uh mark arminsky would lay them out and chris doris would print them and and man it would it seemed like real natural to have the fellas do the sponge stuff as well it was always cool you know but yeah i remember those days at the ritz man but you know it's it's funny when you think of Bands like we used to go see Seduce a lot. You know what I mean? Years, even years before Sponge, Seduce was always drawing a great crowd, playing their own music. Although you know they came from kind of a cover band world, and not you know we got to mention Halloween too. You know those guys were kind of our contemporaries, if you will, as well. Just hanging out and going to their shows and seeing what they did, and they drew huge crowds. You know, but between those two bands, man, that covered a lot of uh, people in the city of Detroit. I'm still pals with Brian and George to this day, man. I love those guys. Uh, wouldn't mind having Brian on here sometime pretty soon too. He's got a lot of good stories to tell, and uh, he's yeah, always so stayed. Yeah, he's always stayed in touch with me. Um, yeah. So, like I said, Sponge kind of came out of nowhere for us. We didn't know about the whole transition from Loud House to to Sponge, at least for you. Uh, talk about that. Uh, it's Loud House one day, it's Sponge the next. You got Rotting Pinata on shelves. You're on David Letterman talking about, you know, you're, you're doing it at this point. How did that even happen? Because none of us even heard about any any inklings of this happening. Hmm. Well, I mean, we we seem to do a ton of gigs. Like, I remember doing the first fun shows probably at the Avalon in Chicago. I mean, understand this, you know, it's like we were in a situation with a production company who was part of the first spun, uh, first Loud House record. And then all of a sudden, the singer, Kenny, he, he up and quits, you know, because we got dropped from Virgin. We were on Virgin and Virgin Records um, dropped the band. They didn't pick up the option to record another record. even. I mean, we were just done. Loudhouse was basically dead in the water. And um, I was willing to start making a, um, a second record. And... Um, Throughout the demo process of the second record, Kenny quit the band. So we're like, well, we got a great band. Um, I certainly wanted to continue to try to find somebody. But frankly, you know, there was just nobody around that we go, yeah, that's cool. Um, so I did a lot of writing with Loud House. I figured we'll keep writing and I'll sing on the uh, demos that we're writing until we find a singer. So one thing leads to another. And uh, we, we decided let's just we'll find a drummer. That's when we got Paluzzi in the band. And we started to go out and do shows. And we, we played outside of Detroit a whole shit ton uh, before we decided to play in Detroit. So, yeah, like I said, the, we would play the Avalon in Chicago a whole lot and then uh, travel anywhere we could, five, six hours out of the city um, to do shows. Making 50 bucks, you know. We'd even go into, like, the Blind Pig. We'd go into Blind Pig and play. That's probably as close as we would get. And uh, what was the reason for that? You just didn't want to un un unveil the beast yet, or you didn't want to be that local band, or you know what? It's, it's funny you bring up like you know the, the disposition of a lot of Detroit musicians. You know, it's like you're not going to get anybody rooting for you. You know, and um, the worst thing that can possibly happen, and it happens with a lot of bands, all they do is play at home. So you get all your friends to come and see you play, 
and they tell you you're good. And my thing is like, yeah, you know, it's like I want to try this thing out and see how it goes. And I don't want anybody blowing smoke up my ass telling me it's good. You know, I want to go out there in front of people that have no idea who the hell we are and sell it to them. Because again, it's like, you know, how many records are you going to sell in Detroit? You know, you might sell a thousand records in Detroit, but if you're doing something that the whole country might jump on, you're going to sell a whole lot more records than that. So I think those were the reasons when I think back, you know. Well, you got the you, the foot on the gas pedal through uh, Rotting Pinata. You got all the hits off of there. Wax Static, you got all the hits off of there. What was that period like? It, it, it's not this it's it's never what you expect it to be i imagine well i mean we had a shot at success uh with the first loud house situation we got a little bit of taste of it um but for the success to continue so to speak you know we we really had a single we had a song that stuck with folks and it stuck at radio and it stuck on mtv and then we went to the next single, and that thing seemed to stick a little bit, too. So to see a couple singles actually get traction was pretty exciting. You know, the first single really was Nina Menasha from the Rodding record, and we did a video for that. But the one that stuck, the first one that stuck was Plowed. And to see that one really dig in, that was pretty exciting to see. And Loud House never had that, you know. Well, that song Plowed, man, that was just everywhere to the point i mean maybe it's just because i was in detroit and detroit was like we have a band finally <laughs> it's, it's they're not from seattle they're from right here in detroit and i think we're all so incredibly like goosebump proud of it that um that it was just coded and of course that's where i lived but i know it was pretty thick around the country as well and uh, even and then when uh, Molly came out afterwards, it was really the same thing. It was just sponge, 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 sponge. And then we got to uh, Wax Ecstatic, and then uh, the theme title song, and then just my favorite song off of their Drag Queens of Memphis was just two fantastic albums. And did it ever slow down during that period for you? Not at all. No, no, no. no I mean, nothing slowed down at all. It was just like. Uh, Coming out of the rotting pinata record cycle, right into uh, pre-production uh, and writing for uh, Wax. So we were in the studio immediately after getting off the road with the rotting record, and um, right back into um, the loft to uh, do the final tracking for Wax Ecstatic. So yeah, it was no, there was no downtime. You know, it's funny too when you mention about like the folks in the city. Um, really reacting well to, to Sponge. Detroit Radio was one of the last um, radio markets to actually add Plowed. I mean, we were getting banged on K-Rock, and, and um, uh, we were getting banged in Cleveland, and Detroit was a latecomer to actually play in Plowed, man. We were kind of surprised, but we figured when Detroit got on board, everything was cool, but yeah, man, we were getting a lot of radio play everywhere else, but here. In that time, uh, you guys pretty much toured nonstop. Where was the? Uh, what were some of the? I guess major tours you got attached to. Uh, uh, I think you know when I look back at doing Wallapalooza in in um, nineteen ninety six with um, Soundgarden and uh, Metallica. We were on the second stage uh, with the Melvins and. Uh, 
a band called The Cows, and um, just a ton of great bands. Of course, they, they would rotate different headliners. You would have Soundgarden, Metallica, swapping out headliner spots from what I recall, but they would bring in um, uh, Rage Against the Machine for a couple dates. They'd bring in the Ramones for a couple dates. They'd bring in Devo for a couple dates. So it was a really incredibly diverse musical lineup, but people were just into it, you know, and go figure sponges playing on the same stage, as the Melvins. And we played after the uh, Melvins and it was just a really well received, you know? And, uh, you know, we did a tour with Iggy pop in 97 with Reverend Horton. Heat, the bloodhound gang, uh, um, seven dust was just coming out. Um, that year, I think, with their, their new record, they were on that tour, and that, that was that was a really memorable tour. But we toured with Candlebox, and and uh, we toured with Live, and um, Richard Butler and Love Spit Love. So, you know, certainly back then we were doing a lot of pretty cool tours. Talk about Tiger Stadium, nineteen ninety six, Kiss. Well. We were coming off the road. We were, um, I can't recall where we were, but uh, Susan Silver, who managed um, Soundgarden and Allison Chains, she was our manager at that time. And um, we were coming back to town for a couple of days, maybe maybe a week or so. And um, it came up, there was a, the discussion was, um, there was this gal doing a handful of dates in the UK and uh, we can go do some dates with, with her. Um, or since Stone Temple Pilots was unable to do the opening spot for Alice in Chains at um, Tiger Stadium, would we prefer to do that? And we we're like, well, yeah, it makes more sense instead of getting on a plane and going to the UK to do these opening spots for, for this new artist called Alanis Morissette. <laughs> we're just like, <laughs> let's, let's go hang out with um, with our buddies and uh, and play a hometown landmark. So that was the decision there. Well, I actually but, opened up for you, actually, at that uh, on, on that night. Uh, <laughs> but I, was in, I, I actually opened up for you that night. I was in the parking lot at a bar across the street. <laughs> and, and, and all the crowd, of course, was heading towards the stadium. But, of course, they'd stop and look at us for a little bit. So I got to jam in the parking lot. So, again, technically. I thought that was you. Yeah, that was me. I was playing a conga <laughs> and screaming into a mic. And, uh, yeah, technically, doing cover tunes, of course. And uh, technically, uh, I opened up for you and Allison Changing Kiss. And I'm not going to change that story for anybody, just like The Temptations. There you go. There you <laughs> go, man. Add it, add it to your resume. <laughs> another thing I'm, on my resume, this isn't about me, but um, I formed another band in Korea called One-Eyed Buffalo. And um, how that ties to you is I picked up the New Pop Sunday album at a PX, is what they call a military store, um, over there in Korea. I said, oh, cool, Spunk's got a new album. Awesome, picked it up. And uh, honestly, that's one of my favorite albums that you guys have ever released. Uh, two of the songs on there are two of my favorite songs, period, Radio Prayer Line and uh, Thousand Times. I know they're simple, straightforward rock songs, but catchy as hell, man. So tell me about that album. Yeah, the new pop record, we spent a long time making that album. Uh, Wax Ecstatic was not the big seller that uh, Columbia had hoped for. 
and um, upon making the decision to make the, the third sponge record, which we had the commitment, they wanted us to use uh, an A&R guy, which was uh, John Kaladner, and they wanted us to bring in outside writers, which was really a, a strange concept for us. You know, we we're like, well, we do this because we like to write, um, but the, the vote in the band at the time was we wouldn't bring in outside writers, and that caused a conflict with the label, and then the label was like, well, and we started making the record, and the, the label was like, well, if you guys don't want to bring in outside writers, you know, we're not interested in pursuing this, you can take the record someplace else. So we found um, a label called Beyond, which was Alan Kovac's label, and Alan Kovac, um, he was managing Blondie and Motley Crue. Uh, he wanted to release the record, so we spent some more time finishing the record. We spent a long time on that record, and then uh, we released it. However, the first single, Live Here Without You, on that record, uh, which was really copy for 1999, rock radio was full of, um, I don't know, agro-rock sounding stuff, and it was really programmed more by consultants, and we had a single that was just way too light for the radio climate at the time, so... That, that single never got traction um, or much traction at all as, as much as, you know, we applaud the efforts of the label to, to work a single like that at the time. Rock radio felt it was too light. So we got a shot at one single and uh, on that third record, and that was about it. It, I, it was just one of those things where I was still in my cassette days, I think, at that point. And in the Army, you didn't have a bunch, you know, I was in the Army in Korea, and you didn't have a bunch of... Uh, stuff <laughs> i had a, a a walkman i think i still had at that point yeah yep. and uh, you only had room for maybe about five or ten different tapes i think i had like weezer and cake and sponge and i was yeah. really and uh yeah i wore that thing out man i wore that i think that and, and wax static i had both with me so i guess i'm a little fanboy after all but um <laughs> it, was, it was just a fantastic album a really underrated album and uh but you didn't really, you didn't stop there. I mean, I, what, what was the process between New Pop Sunday and the following release, which I think was, was it The Man or was it All, all the Drugs in the World? Uh, it would have been uh, For All the Drugs in the World record, yeah. Which also had some great, great songs on it. Uh, Treat Me Wrong is like probably another one of my favorite songs, period, that I can attach to many ex-girlfriends, if you know what I mean. <laughs> It's just one of those songs. I mean, 28 Days, uh, Dandelion's Roar. These are just like catchy, super catchy songs. It doesn't matter if you're, you could be a fan of hardcore gangster rap and you're still going to tap your foot and bob your head to these songs. But what was the process like between uh, the new pop and, the, and, the, and the, all the drugs in the world? Well, at that time, we had lost like how many original members? trying to think like mike was no longer in the band so it was pretty much just me and joe and we had a a, a new lineup of billy adams on drums uh, he was brand new to the band um tim krukowski on bass and we had kurt marshke on guitar uh and uh, kurt had you know many great um uh, bands in detroit but um He's probably best known for the Dead String Brothers, you know, which uh, I think he was on Bloodshot Records. But, but anyway, we had that lineup. And, uh, uh, of course, going into the studio and just kind of like the old days, recording on our own dime, uh, we found a label, Idol Records, uh, an indie label out of Dallas, Texas, to 
released the record. Um, and uh, we uh, just kept doing, uh, continued doing dates. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of downtime between uh, the release of New Pop and uh, Mike Rigel leaving the band. And, and of course, his brother Tim had, had um, Mike Cross, I guess I should say, and Tim Cross left the band. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of downtime between those guys leaving and, and Joe and I just firing the band uh, back up and starting to do shows and thinking about a new record. And that led into the, the drugs record. It just seemed like since there was such a, a personnel change and it just seemed like a big change. It almost seemed like years between those albums, but I guess it really wasn't. The drugs record came out in 03, you know? So, I mean, it was a pretty, pretty quick turnaround uh, to get a record out, but you know, all the while doing shows and, and um, uh, we continue to write. And I mean, it's kind of what we've always done. We just write songs and, put out some records and, you know, see what happens. And so, yeah, we released a couple records on, um, idol. Uh, the man was released on idol and, uh, the drugs record was released on idol. After that, uh, you kind of, uh, would you call yourself, I mean, are you back to being a Detroit band? Cause you still play everywhere. I just caught you here in Colorado Springs last year. Yeah. Uh, so you're still touring all over the place. You released, uh, stop the bleeding. Which is uh, is, what, is that under Idol Records as well, or is that just a self-released album? No, that record was initially um, an EP called "Destroy the Boy," and we finished the record and released that on a label called The End. Uh, the End was out of Brooklyn, New York. Uh, pretty good distribution, I think. They're a BMG uh, label, but uh, I mean, they just got tons of music, tons of bands, old punk bands, all kinds of stuff that they release. And, um, we thought we'd give that a go, but, um, you know, after the two idol records that we did, we, uh, knocked out galore, galore. Oh yeah. I forgot about that one. My bad. Yeah. We did that one. And then, yeah, the stop the bleeding record. And I think that was about it until we did the beer session record in 2016. So, I mean, it's, it's always, there's been, you know, an output of, of music and, and records coming out. But um, we have not been affiliated with any kind of major label since um, 2001, I think. We kind of don't need to be anymore. I mean, the thing that I'm recording you on right now, I can record a, a full album on if I really needed to. And it's literally built into a laptop. It's craziness when you think about going back to two-inch tape and uh, all the... Uh, what, I don't even think it was digital when I first did my first album myself. So, Right. Uh, technology is insane. Do you think that really cuts into the, I don't know. It just, it's, I, I like raw rock and roll music. That's just unfiltered and uncorporately condensed. I just, uh, that's what I'm into. And I know there's a lot of people that share that sentiment, but do you think technology's taken away from the soul a little bit of rock and roll or just music in general? Well, I certainly don't like to rely on any, uh, 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 lean on the technology t uh, too much, you know. I think that there's always a great blend of, of um, the technology and the soul of music, you know, and certainly taking advantage of programming and, and it, whether it's been like um, Al Jorgensen or, or um, 
you know, a, a guy in Nine Inch Nails, uh, you know, that, that have utilized Yep, you there? Hello? Yeah, hey, I'm sorry, I froze up there for a uh, second. Uh, yeah, they've utilized, you know, Trent Reznor utilized a lot of technology to make his music. And, 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 I, and I think it maintains the soul of uh, rock and roll. You know, I agree. I, I love uh, certainly raw uh, music. I don't think you need to be a trained musician to play music. I know what Frank Zappa said about punk rock music or punk rockers. It's like letting the help play instruments. But I just go, you don't need to be a, a Harvard grad to, you know, make rock and roll music or any kind of music worthwhile. I just think it's too easy now. Does that make sense? It just, it feels too easy in the, in the push button uh, entitlement age of, of society. It's anybody can download beats right now and mumble over a song. And guess what? They can make a million dollars if a record label pushes them correctly. And or I, they can be a YouTube sensation and do the same thing. You know what I mean? And hopefully it's a good thing, but yeah, it's really, it's gotten away from me as to, um, you know, I can't necessarily be a judge of what's uh, good today. You know, my sensibility, I suppose, is rooted in that old style of sensibility. And certainly a lot of folks these days are attracted to different, they gravitate towards different sensibility, different background, different music, and, and it rings their bell, but it doesn't necessarily ring mine. So I'm, I, I'm probably not a real good judge of it. Uh, let's talk about the beer sessions real quick, because Sponge, and I, I guess you, you're the gift that keeps on giving here for Sponge fans. Uh the beer sessions was recorded a little bit differently. Oh yeah. Uh, to, to some extent. Uh, I mean, I, I enjoyed the process because it was a going back to the old school process, which was not overthinking, not over tracking, not over mixing. It's just like, let's go in, let's cut a song a day. Sometimes we were writing the song, finish. We we're finishing the writing of the song in the studio in the morning. And we had a, we really had everything recorded, but the guitar solo was by four o'clock in the afternoon, you know? And we brought in our, um, our favorite uh, local craft brewers at the time as well. And we let the cameras roll. So it was kind of a, you know, a visual record. It was a, uh, uh, obviously an audio record, but the visual part of it with all the video that we put together and put on our uh, website, was a whole lot of fun. And I think it gave people a, sh a chance to see the band recording in the studio. They saw the end product, and they kind of saw what we were doing in between the recording, which was having some food and some beers and talking, and um, talking about music and talking about beer. So it was a whole lot of fun. I'd like to do more of those, as a matter of fact. Well, speaking of doing more, what is next? Are you currently in the studio? I know you're probably taking dates around the country, but... Uh... I got a, I got this strange feeling that Sponge isn't going anywhere anytime soon, even though it's been a two and a half decades at this point, which is nobody gets to do that. Nobody gets a two and a half decade unless you're Daryl Smith or something like that. You've you've got this huge library. What are you going to add to it next? You know, we've been talking to this label um, out of L.A., Cleopatra, which, you know, Cleopatra's... Uh, put out a record called um, 
demoed in Detroit that, that we put out a few months ago as basically demos from in between Wack Ecstatic and New Pop Sunday that were not used for New Pop Sunday. And uh, they asked us to put a couple like uh, remake, like cover songs, like, you know, um, Born to Be Wild is on there, man. And, and, you know, just some cover tunes. And I was like, well, we've recorded these things years ago, you know, for music supervisors. So why not put them on, put them on a record, you know? So I, I um, said, yep, that's cool. Let's do that. But uh, we released that record a few months ago and that same label, they're interested in putting out a single uh, that we put together. Um, and we put it together for a pub crawl and they really liked the song. So they want to release that single to radio. So, you know, fingers crossed, it could be a good one. That's awesome. Well, I sure appreciate you talking to me, man. It's been, uh, it's been a while. Next time you're in town, please let me know. Next time I'm in town, I'll let you know. And uh, good luck from here on out. Well, you sound good, Brandon. It's good to speak with you. And, um, you know, call me anytime. Oh, God. Welcome to the Dungeon of Douches. These people are assholes. Okay, this is going to be another long segment. You know what? A lot of podcasts are like three to four hours long. Maybe we'll hit the two-hour mark in this one, and that's fine because I have to spend some time on this guy in the Dungeon of Douche, our newest addition to the Dungeon of Douche. And if there was anybody, if there was anybody this week that belongs in a rat-infested, filth-ridden chasm of just depressing garbage, it's this guy. Grayson Fritz, or a detective of Knox County in the Sheriff's Department, Grayson Fritz. You know what? I'm not even going to... I'm going to save... I'm going to do like a little bit of a stop and start thing. We're actually going to let Grayson Fritz talk for himself right now. Now, I, I wish that I had him on the line right now. I do. I wish. Oh, my goodness. Better yet, I wish that I could be locked in a steel cage with him. You know, his mayor, by the way, is Kane from WWE, Glenn Jacobs, who denounced this freaking idiot in his comments... I would love to see Kane choke slam this twit right through the freaking floor. I I hate these people. Here's the thing. I'm not religious. I don't even call myself an atheist. I don't I don't I'm not I don't care anything about it. It it, it doesn't cross my mind. It doesn't cross my mind long enough to to denounce it, to damn it, to make fun of it. I, I went through that stage in my life before, and you know what? It, it, it's dumb. All you do is alienate people. Some people need religion. Religion, if you truly believe in anything, it releases the dopamine or whatever in your brain, and it makes you feel good, and it, and it, and it has results, and it helps people in, in their time of need. It's a crutch when they need it, and I respect that. It's no different than, in my opinion, you know, watching your favorite TV show or eating a big bowl of uh, your favorite ice cream or something like that. It's, it's going – you're enjoying it. You believe in it. So you're going to partake emotionally and physically and spiritually, and I understand it. But when it gets to this level, this is not the Stone Age anymore, people. This is not where religion was basically – organized religion was basically invented – 
was in Rome as a way to keep track and keep people in line to scare them into submitting to your ideals and to your your rules and regulations and all that stuff. That's, this was written by men that didn't want the average person coveting what they had. They, they, they basically set people into manageable factions with religion. And, and you know, I'm not going to go there, okay? I'm not going to go there because I believe what I believe and I don't believe in what I don't believe and you believe in what you believe. And who gives a shit? Like I said earlier, small, water-covered, blue rock floating in the, in the vastness of the universe. None of this matters. It doesn't freaking matter. You could be the Pope and your opinions in the grand scheme of things do not matter. My belief or disbelief does not matter. All we have is what's in front of us. All we have is today, the here, the now. That is it. So if you want to believe in whatever you want to believe, go ahead and believe. You don't need my permission to do that, and you're not going to get my resistance against that. But, but, it has to go both ways. I have been hit in the head with Bibles twice. <laughs> twice! Not because I vehemently was denouncing religion, but just because I happened to say, nah, that's not for me, I don't subscribe. Now, it's all generational brainwashing is what it is. You believe what you believe because of what your parents and your grandparents and, your, and the, the authority figures you surround yourself with and the predicaments that you found yourself in. That is why you believe in whatever you believe, whether you're a Muslim or Jewish or Buddhist or Hindu or you still believe in the Egyptian Book of the Dead with Horus and Set and all the little silly miracles and all these things, you believe in that stuff because you've been told to believe in it. If I told my son that I was born on Jupiter and there were songs about it and there were books written about it and everybody he knew backed me up on the story that says, yes, your father's from Ju Jupiter, praise Brandon. You are not going to be able to convince my son that I am not from Jupiter, even though it's impossible. So that is basically religion. That is what it is. And people, like I said, if you need it, you need it. If you love it, you love it. If you praise it, you praise it. But keep it off my plate. Do not force your opinions and your beliefs onto others. Or as the Bible would say, unto others. It is not your place. It is not your business. It is not your concern what I believe in and what I do not believe in. Unless I put it down your throat, which I'm not going to do. There are a lot of us that do, but I'm not one of them. You may think I'm doing that right now, but I'm really not. So Grace and Fritz, Knox County Sheriff, uh, somebody voted this asshole into an office. That's We got one of those here in Colorado Springs, actually. Gordon Klingerschmidt. He's basically this guy. He's basically this guy, but he's localized. He used to have a little TV show where he renounced gays and said the same shit that this fucking idiot is saying on this instance. Except for this guy's catching fire right now because it got filmed and it got on YouTube and it got on social media and that's how we, uh, that's how, that's how we judge people these days. And that's how we ex like, put them through the system. 
but there's no, you know, proven innocent here. This guy is guilty of being a dick, and that's why we're sticking him into the dungeon of douche, and I'm going to go ahead and hit this real quick. I don't have my levels ready or anything, so if it's too loud or not loud enough, sorry, you can look it up for yourself. It's on YouTube. Knox Sheriff Detective Grayson Fritz wants LGBT people executed. Now, I know a lot of times people sensationalize things with clickbait titles and all that, and you need to stop that because you're fucking ruining society, you idiots. But this um, pretty much sums it up. Here we go. Sick of sodomy getting crammed down our throats. My wife sent me an article last night about Taylor Swift. Do you know who Taylor Swift is? She's some pop singer, okay? About her petitioning the Tennessee legislature to try to get this anti-LGBTQ discrimination bill passed where it'd be illegal for you to discriminate them. It's infecting our nation, people. Cultures... God, you can hear the people in the background. He's he's saying this on on a podium before the words all scripture... Baptist church, so obviously it's in a church somewhere in Tennessee. And he's got people there listening to them, and they're all, hey man, sure is. Yeah, it's here. I'll believe whatever you say because I can't think for myself and I can't think of anything that uh, that uh, doesn't agree with my Christian upbringing. But they're, they're. The Bible is not outdated, okay? The f- oh, well, stop again. How the fuck can you say something is not outdated that was r- written by men thousands of years ago? Of course it's outdated. It's a... Oh, okay, I'm, 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 okay, I don't want to offend anybody here because God forbid anybody offend anybody. When I say God, I'm talking about George Carlin. You don't want to f- offend people because uh, I'm so offended. I can't. Oh, he doesn't like my God. Oh, let's denounce him. Let's talk crap about him. Let's just put him on a lower shelf and look down through our nostrils at him. I told myself I wouldn't get all worked up on this. But yes, the Bible is outdated. Yes, it is a storybook written by men. People did not live in fish. Snakes and donkeys do not talk. Okay. Okay, here we go. Government, the police, or what have you should enforce Leviticus 2013. That is the purpose of this sermon, is to show you that. Those were the laws that civil government would enforce, just like we have. First of all, Leviticus does not say anything about homosexuality. All it says is, man shall not lay with another man. If that's the case, then army barracks are against uh, religion. If you want to take this word for word, because what what Christians do, hardcore Christians like this uh, fundamentalist radical asshole... They take the Bible and they use the parts of the Bible that best suit them. Most Christians do that. Oh, I can't eat shellfish on a certain day. Well, that's just, you know, that's just for that time. That's just for the other people. That's that that doesn't pertain to me. So I can go off and eat lobster or whatever the hell they're talking about. <sighs> anyway, let me get back to this. Oh, now murder, rape, kidnapping, adultery. They were punishable by death. You get Christians that say, well, I think homosexuality is a sin, but I don't think it should be punished. You know, by the government. Well, guess what? Uh, you know, you're so hardcore. It's a sin, really. It is a sin, and it was punished by civil government. You understand that? Oh, yeah, right, 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 right. Surely be put to death. Oh, here he okay? goes. You see, when he said, "You surely be put to death," he points at the crowd like he's some freaking dictator on a. That's the what they do. This is show business. You guys know that, right? 
these kind of like sermons and these kind of like church things, whatever you call them, they are show business. That's why the buildings look like they do. That's why there's art on the walls everywhere. That's why there's a stage a lot of times with lighting and a PA system and, and music and all that stuff. This is show business. That is what you're paying for with your eternal loyalty or whatever. Okay. It's kind of driving it home that uh, uh, the death penalty for someone being a homosexual. Christ redeemed us from the law. Bestiality is good. Maybe bestiality is good. You are saying the same thing when you say that Leviticus 20.13 should just be abolished. Just because you want it to. Because you like watching Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Because you like watching all the Disney movies. Like you, because you like watching all of these freaks on TV. You understand me? And you want to try to go soft on the homos, right? So you're like, oh, I disagree with that. Then you disagree with the rest of the chapter. How can you cherry pick one verse, Christian, and say that I don't agree with that verse just because it's not popular? That is exactly, I'm going to agree with this idiot at this point. That is exactly what the hell I just said. That is exactly what I just said. They cherry pick what they want to follow, and then they ignore the rest. They cherry pick, and then they ignore. Whatever suits you the best is what you decide to follow in religion. So this guy is absolutely, you know what? I almost respect him, but I guarantee, not I mean, not at all respect him, but I almost respect him for at least doing what Christians are supposed to do, which is just awful, but he's just... I'm losing my words here. This is like a thing where I'm, I'm supposed to be talking like eloquently, and I get angry at this stuff. But you know what I'm saying? It's, it's people cherry pick. If they don't want to do this, then they're not going to do that. If they want to do this, then they're going to do it, and then they'll work it into the Bible somehow. And like I said, Leviticus says nothing about gays. Says that they're worthy of death. The Bible says that the government, somebody stands up. Oh, I'm LGBTQ. Here's how it should work. It shouldn't work where we go out and we enforce the laws because the Bible says the powers that be are ordained of God and God has instilled the power of civil government to send the police in 2019 out to these LGBT freaks and arrest them and have a trial for them. And if they are convicted, then they are to be put to death. You understand that? It is a capital crime that should be uh, carried out by our government. All right, that's enough. That's enough. I can't do it. I'm moving the microphone away from the... So this guy wants people to be put to death for being homosexual. They want... First of all, this guy's a real fucking tough guy when he's in front of a small group of his own contemporaries, of his own type. I would love Mr. Fritz to... Go ahead, go ahead, Mr. Detective Fritz. Go out into the street, find some gays, and put them to death. Go ahead and try it. Do it with your bare hands. Go fight them. Come on, shithead. Follow up. You know what? Back in the day when you know the Bible was written by men, they didn't rely on police. They didn't call the police like you're asking the government to do here. <laughs> to go out and kill people that are breaking your magical storybook laws. They would do it themselves. They would grab up giant stones and all this stuff. And uh, let's see you do that, tough guy. Because I guarantee you, I know a lot of gay people. And you know what? A lot of them are 
just like us. There's some that are great, some are complete assholes. It's no different. It's no different if you're black or Asian or Jewish or Russian or Ukrainian or Samoan or whatever. There's a great share of amazing people, usually most of them. And then there's a portion of them that are just the bad apples that ruin the whole tree that are complete assholes. It's just like everybody. It's just like Christians. There's a whole great, amazing, millions of awesome people. And then there are just the complete douchebag pieces of shit like this guy. It's the same with atheists and non-subscribers. There's amazing people like myself, I might add. And then there's the douchebags that even I shake my head at and go, God, will you just shut the fuck up? You can't lump you can't lump people into groups. You just can't do that. That's what short-sighted, unintelligent, lazy-ass people do. You can't just say all black people are awful uh, criminals. They're not. Some of my best friends happen to have more skin pigmentation than I do. And you know what? They're amazing people. They're better than me by all accounts. You can't just say that all white people are racist. We're not. I don't have a racist bone in my freaking body. You know what I'm racist against? The race of assholes. If you're an asshole, you're a piece of shit. Grayson Fritz in Knox County, Tennessee is a fucking asshole. And some of these gay people that I know would beat your fucking ass to the point where your family doesn't recognize you. I guarantee it. Let's go out. Come on, tough guy. Back up your words. Go on the street. Put on a pair of freaking uh, douchebag UFC gloves and go out there with your with a mouthpiece in and, 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 and a bandana around your head that says, I hate gays. Go out there. Go out there to a gay pride fest. We just had a ton of them all over the country with amazing people smiling and having a great time. Go ahead. Go out there and pick a fight with one. Go ahead. Bring some friends with you. They got a lot of friends, too. It's just disgusting. It's just absolutely fucking disgusting. I'm tired of people like this that are hiding behind their religion because they have nothing else. They have nothing else. They have no other. Who are you going to talk to if you're not talking in front of a church? I mean, granted, somebody voted you in as the detective of Knox County. So you do have people that work for you. You do have, you know, the police department, whatever. But are you going to be able to talk to them like this, Mr. Tough Guy? They're all going to look at you and just dismiss you. Just like uh, Glenn Jacobs came, the mayor of Knox County. He dismissed your comments, and thankfully he did. You're just a badass when you're around your friends. It's like that gang member douchebag mentality. When you're around your buddies, you're a tough guy, aren't you? Well, you're not. You're an out-of-shape, middle-aged, ugly, badly-dressed pussy of a man. I want to beat your ass. Put down the badge. I will fly. I got plenty of business to take care of in Tennessee as it is. I got the wrestling with ghost guys out there. The Asai Paranormal channel is kind of based out there. I've got uh, all kinds of people out there that I can go see and have a good time with. And I would love. There's a big Parthenon right in the middle of Nashville with a huge park, Grayson. Meet me out there. I'll give you any day, any time that you're ready. I'll let you prepare. You can surround the whole damn place with your friends and family, fellow cops, whatever you want to do. All I ask is for 10 minutes with your big, dumb, stupid, brainwashed, fuckhead ass. And I'll destroy you. I will destroy you on behalf of anybody who's sensible, anybody who's compassionate, anybody who's gay, anybody who's just not like you. 
And that's what it is. That's what it's all about, isn't it? These people are not like you. Aw. And you know what the funny thing is? Just like Ted Haggard here in Colorado Springs with the New Life Church thing. Just like Ted Haggard would denounce being gay and was against gay marriage and publicly against it and all this stuff. Just to find out he was having homosexual uh, encounters with his massage therapist or something like that and doing meth on top of all of it. I almost guarantee it. Remember I'm saying these words right now because I doubt this idiot, Grayson Fritz, would ever, ever in a million years agree to meet me in an open field or anybody for that matter and be a man and defend your words with actions. I guarantee that's not going to happen because you're a big floppy pussy. But remember these words. Grayson Fritz is a homosexual. And there's nothing wrong with that, Grayson. You enjoy it. I mean, seriously. There's got to be a reason you're acting like this. And, every, and history, history says that usually people that act like this are secretly closet homosexuals. And when you do come out, and it is known that you are a closet homosexual, and when we all find out, we're not going to laugh at you. You know what we're going to do? We're going to accept you. And we hope you embrace the culture, and we hope that you come out and apologize for everything that you said. That is your only, that is your absolute only course of redemption at this point but in the meantime until you agree Grayson Fritz to put down your badge and put away your gun put up your fists and meet me in a big open park outside the Parthenon in Nashville Tennessee I'll even go to your fucking play I'll go to wherever this church is I'm sure there's a little park around there somewhere whatever you want to do buddy you tell me anyway Grayson, all I can do in the meantime is stick you in the Dungeon of Douche. Because if there's anybody who belongs inside the Dungeon of Douche, it's you. Welcome to the Hall of Respect. These people are awesome. I love them. Okay, I have to make this quick. (laughs) On the flip side of Grace and Fritz and the Dungeon of Douche, which I had to spend extra time because I love ranting about stupid people. I love calling out stupid people. I like pointing out stupid people. I like, I literally called out stupid people. I will fly to Nashville on a drop of a pin if he ever heard this and agreed to meet me anywhere. Anywhere. I will be there. Grayson. Anyway, on the flip side of that, it's the Hall of Respect. And today, I'm going to get political on your ass. Yes, I am. There's a guy out there that you don't even know about, most of you don't even know about, and he should be the next president of the United States. I'm not going to say a word about Trump on this. I'm going to save that for another time, because that could be a five-hour episode, and I've been building up little things here and there. If you're a Trump supporter, fine, whatever. That's your thing. It's basically Trump, Pence, bumper sticker on your car just tells me not to drive near you because you're obviously brain dead or something. Anyway, I get it, though. Hillary was a piece of shit, too. Maybe you didn't like Barack Obama because he was black or something. That's your stupidity, and uh, enjoy it. But I'm not going to say anything about Trump, any, anything further. Andrew Yang Yeah, the Asian guy that's running for president in 2020. I am slowly, deeply falling in love with this guy. 
He uh, has been given award after award from presidents and world leaders for just being an awesome guy with different charities and pushing entrepreneurs. And he's a philanthropist that just doesn't stop. But that's only part of it. If you really look into and I'm not going to go into detail because we've really got to wrap this thing up. I'm not going to go into crystal detail about his stance on a different political issues and his uh, economy stance and all this stuff. It's absolutely right up the alley that I thought I created. You can go on YouTube right now, go to the ASY ASY TV page on YouTube and look up the angry show, which is a show that used to be on ASY TV until I took it down because it was way too opinionated. And now I'm doing a podcast, which is equally as opinionated and look up the Brandon plan. In that video, you'll hear me say that I think every American in the United States, every citizen, should get a monthly, I think I may even have said uh, financial assistance or allowance of $1,000. And then I said everybody under 18, you should get $350 per child uh, that, that you have, that you're a guardian for. So if you're a mom, a single mom, you get $1,000. If you're a single dad, you get $1,000. If you're a mom and dad together, then you each get $1,000. And then you get, like I said, three fifty per each kid. So if you got ten kids, and you you make a bank every month, but everyone at that point is taken care of. They have housing. They have food. I mean, granted, there's going to be a small population that goes out there and spends it on drugs and alcohol and, and shitty food and all that stuff. It's going to happen. It's happening right now. People are out there selling their food stamps to other people. It's always going to be clouded in some kind of disruptive criminal element. It's course it's going to happen. But at the same time, at the same time, you're going to take care of people, which is the number one responsibility for government, in my opinion. Isn't it? Seemingly, that would be the number one responsibility of government. Anyway, so each individual, each American gets $1,000 a month. That is his plan now. He's, he's calling it a universal basic income for every American over the age of 18. No strings attached, paid by a new tax at the companies benefiting most from automation. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but i got to look it up. Uh, the, this is just the beginning. It goes into a bunch of political stuff, but listen to this guy's stuff, man. Just listen to what he's got to say. Don't be biased because, oh, no, he's Asian. You know, Asians are some of the smartest people on earth. Maybe you should, that's a positive. But I know there's this, this racist demographic here in the country that they showed their heads during the Obama. Then they even got brighter and happy with Trump. And, you know, they're going to look at Andrew Yang and be like, no, 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 no. He's offering everybody $1,000 a month and they're still going to say, no, 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 no. That's not American. That's not, how are we going to pay for that? Do you realize we're spending $750 billion dollars a year on military that's more than the next 10 militaries combined to include Russia to include China our military expenditures alone could pay for this if you just took a small slither of it and here's my plan get rid of the income tax and you're like oh that's even going to put us in a deeper hole no, let me explain. Get rid of the income tax. Do a cross-the-board 17% consumption tax. Everything you buy, whether it's a car, a burrito, uh, some flowers, uh, a lamp, anything has a 17% income tax. I'm sorry, a consumption tax attached to it. 
If you do that, you pay for everything. Our paychecks are no longer touched by the government. We don't have to do income tax day anymore. It's just so many amazing ways to improve this country and pay for it. And we're just not doing it. We're not thinking. Nobody is opening their mouth and standing up and saying, hey, this is what needs to be done. This is how to do it. Open your fucking ears. Open your fucking mind. Shut your mouth for once and listen. Nobody's saying that. Even Andrew Yang isn't saying exactly that, which he needs to. But at least he's throwing these ideas out there that make sense. And if you, that you can't convince stupid people of intelligent ideas. You cannot Explain things to stupid people that are set in their ways. You can't do it. I've tried, and I'm done trying. There's different ways to do it. You can't just convince. You have to just do things. Andrew Yang's out there doing things. He's always been someone who's doing things. He's helped thousands of businesses. He's helped thousands of people in his time. And now he's running for president. And all I'm going to ask you is to, again, I'm going to say this nicely, Just shut up. (laughs) That's not nice, I know. But just stop talking. Get out of your own head. Put away your biases. Put away your previous thoughts. Read about him. Watch videos about him. Follow him a little bit. You'll fall in love with the guy. He's amazing. He's not an embarrassment by any means to the country. He's smart, and he's got amazing ideas that will help you. Yes, you. Stop killing yourself. Stop standing in the way of your own progress let people like this into the into the system check out andrew yang and hopefully you'll vote for him in 2020 so all i can do at this point is say welcome to the hall of respect andrew yang i will be most likely voting for you i'd probably still vote for bernie but he's really old at this point and don't forget he's only a couple years older than trump so maybe you should think about that when you go to the poll and bernie's in better shape than the donald but andrew yang Welcome to the Hall of Respect. Now it's time for the happy ending. Okay, second episode in the bag. It's time for the happy ending. What did I learn from this episode? I learned that uh, I really miss my days in Detroit. I miss the music scene there. I am still a huge fan of the band Sponge. (laughs) I learned that I'm not afraid to share my sexual exploits and uh, shortcomings and uh, all of the above uh, to whoever's listening. Uh, Complete strangers, perhaps. Know that I used to ejaculate very fast in my 20s. I mean, that's good now. Everything's fine now, I promise. So, if you're listening and you like my profile pic on this uh, podcast show and stuff, Look me up, yeah. I'm single. I live in Colorado Springs. I'm a father. I'm a absolutely ridiculous. and just don't expect a relationship. So that's another thing that I learned about myself. I learned that uh, parents are stupid when they um, get drunk and go to Little League games. I learned that um, Christian preachers should not be elected officials anywhere. Mr. Grayson Fritz. I learned that um, I might be flying to Nashville soon to beat his ass. I hope. Somebody just keep sharing this. Share this. Make this go viral. Uh, not because I want to be popular and all that stuff. I'm not making any money off of this. Share this because I want him to get it. That is all. I've also learned that um, I am in love with an Asian man that's running for president, uh, Andrew Yang. Uh, he's the closest 
to what I would be if I was running for president. Who knows? That may happen someday. I've often thought about it. I could destroy Trump in a debate. I could destroy most of these people in a debate. It's just a matter of digging up my past, which I've revealed enough on this episode of this podcast to pretty much eliminate me from any contention for the presidency. But who knows? Who knows what will happen? I mean, if Trump can get in, then I can definitely most likely get in. But thank you so much for joining us next week. We're going to be talking to my buddy Conrad Thompson. He is a wrestling fan that is now a major part of the industry. He's got five, count them, five hit podcasts. Uh, he's one of the reasons I decided to start doing a podcast because it just seemed like a lot of fun. Just get on here and just talk about stuff. But what a great outlet this is. But he's a wrestling fan just like me that just grew up loving the sport, still does, and now he's got podcasts with Bruce Pritchard, who I recently brought the two of them here to Colorado Springs to do a live show, Tony Schiavone, Eric Bischoff, Arn Anderson, Jim Ross, and we're going to be bringing some of them to Denver here pretty soon to do another live show. So I'm really excited to talk to Conrad next, uh, next week, next Saturday. And our topic of the meet, I'm going to bring in Shannon. We're going to talk about... I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to word this. I think it's just going to be things that Brandon hates. So my blood pressure is going to go up quite a bit. I got medication for it, which I hate taking because it makes me fat. But um, <laughs> things Brandon hates, I think that's just going to be the, the topic for the meet next week. So thank you so much for joining us on the Brandon Bishop Podcast. I am Brandon Bishop. Had a blast today. We're going to end this thing with one of my favorite songs off the new Sponge album, Beer Sessions. Uh, well, I mean, it's a year and a half old now, but still, it's their latest release. Absolutely love it. It's on iTunes. It's everywhere you can get albums. You should go out immediately and buy it. This is The Whores are closing in, and I'll see you next week.
Just one.